Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 41 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Kendrick Percocet. Today is going to be a little bit different. I am recording by myself right now, so I'll be solo dolo like 09 Kid Cuddy. So it'll be a little bit shorter than usual, but there are just some things that I have to have to give you my thoughts on from this week in sports news. So let's get into it. We have an exciting show for you all today. We are going to get into why Scotty Pippen is all the hot gossip for this week. We're going to get into some huge, huge changes in the NCAA and how it affects college athletes going forward. I'm going to talk to you about the leftover coaching vacancies in the NBA and give you my top three candidates that are remaining. And last but not least, we are going to give a big, big, big baller's bouquet to Carmelo Anthony for winning the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Justice Champion Award. Welcome to the tee-off. Ooh, 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 spill that tea, sis. This is how I like to start the show off. I like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the crazy situations they get themselves into. Today, we got to talk about none other than Scottie Pippen, or you know, Scott as KD like to call him, six-time NBA champion, Chicago Bulls legend. And the guy who probably signed the worst contract in NBA history, if y'all don't remember from the last dance, you know, in 1991, he signed an eight-year, $18 million contract. This was before there were like league minimums, maximum contract lengths. And to give you some perspective about how horrendous this contract was, in 1999, Scottie Pippen signed a five-year, $67 million contract with the Houston Rockets. So, Why is a certified NBA legend lashing out and becoming the subject of our tee-off? It's pretty easy, actually. Scottie Pippen is promoting two things. The first is a new bourbon line, and the second is a book that is supposed to be his tell-all about being part of the Chicago Bulls dynasty and a little bit of a rebuttal to the last dance because he did not appreciate the way MJ portrayed him during the documentary. So what does Scotty do? The first is his little beef with KD. It's the least interesting part of this thing, but it should give us an idea where we need to start. So the first thing that happens for Scotty is that he's given a GQ interview. This GQ interview is supposed to be promoting this to this bourbon brand that we talked about. And he compares KD to LeBron James. And he said, KD tried to do too much, and that's what lost in them game. 
He couldn't get his teammates engaged and elevate them the way LeBron James could. And LeBron James would have been able to, he implies this, take that Brooklyn Nets team further. KD responds, and his response is pretty good. He's like, isn't this guy Scott the same guy who refused to go back into the game because his coach drew up a last-second shot for a better shooter? I, that's not false. Tony Kukoc got that last-second shot. He also hit that last-second shot, and the Chicago Bulls won that game while Scottie Pippen might have been throwing a tantrum on the bench. Now, this is where things get more interesting from this GQ interview. He then went on the Dan Patrick Show this Monday, this Monday, to elaborate and double down on this comment. He says that Phil Jackson is a racist and that Phil Jackson drawing up that last second play for Tony Kukoc was a way to elevate Tony Kukoc over Scottie Pippen, even though Michael Jordan was no longer there. This is during the one season he took off to go play baseball. And he felt like it was a racial move by Phil Jackson. He doubled down and said he has no problem saying Phil Jackson is a racist. Was Tony Kukoc a better shooter? Yes. Had Scotty missed a lot of shots to go ahead in that game? Yes. 1.8 seconds left. We frequently see the best player on the court sometimes being the decoy because everybody thinks you're going to shoot that shot. We saw. MJ gives Steve Kerr a final shot in a similar situation. He thinks Phil Jackson is a racist, and I can't speak on it. I don't know Phil Jackson, but someone that did certified, as like he likes to say, I think is a G6 classification, Shaq. He uh, said, look, straight up, I don't want to get involved in other people's beef, but Phil is definitely not a racist. Quote is what he said. He just says that he thinks since Scott is coming out with a book and a new drink, it's all marketing for Scotty. Right? Other thing he said, this was just a fun fact for everybody, is that Charles Barkley is a fake tough guy. He says Charles Barkley only gets tough with little white dudes and ain't never try to fight a black player or get tough with a black player unless the referee was already there to break it up. Funniest part is when Shaq came out to rebut him saying Phil Jackson is a racist, he co-signed what he said about Charles Barkley. <laughs> That's just facts. Now, I will say this ain't the first time Phil Jackson has been in some hot water for racially insensitive comments. There was that time where he referred to LeBron James, Maverick Carter, etc. as LeBron James' little posse. Even though they're all businessmen, those are his business partners. It's not just like he got a bunch of his boys hanging around, following him everywhere like he's a rapper or an actor. LeBron checked him on that. A lot of people checked him on that. I don't know if that's enough for you all to believe Scotty's claims. But right now, uh, it seems a little tenuous. But that was your tee off.
Ooh, 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 Playboy. All right, all right. We got to get into the NCAA. We touched on this a little bit in some past episodes, but the Supreme Court recently gave a scathing, scathing, unanimous decision that the NCAA and their entire business model is grossly illegal. And I want to say the right-wing pro-business members of the court even went as far to say that in literally any other industry, the NCAA's model would be and would have long been illegal and struck down. So what happens here? The NCAA is trying to get out in front of future litigation because that's the most important part of the Supreme Court case is that it has crushed the NCAA's defense of amateurism, i.e. these players aren't professionals, so they can't be paid, they can't benefit from their likenesses, we get full financial control over them, etc. So the NCAA makes some changes because the easiest way to understand the Supreme Court ruling was the next case to hit, the precedent is set for that lower court to tell the NCAA it's time to go. So what did the NCAA do? I'm going to tell y'all. The first thing is they will now allow athletes to benefit from their name, image, and likeness beginning today when we are recording. It is Thursday. And basically... It doesn't matter where the school is located. They can benefit from it. They are allowed to do any endorsements they want, but for the most part, they have to report them and be upfront with the NCAA about them. That is the big change. There's no need to get into the weeds for it. Now, the most important part of this is they believe that this policy still preserves their we are not pay for play. I will quote this from their statement. It also reinforces key principles of fairness, integrity across the NCAA and maintains rules prohibiting improper recruitment inducements. So what does that mean? First thing it means you got to think about the stories that we have heard in the past, like Zion getting a house, a bunch of money under the table from the team, from boosters, etc. All those things are still illegal. All those things can get your eligibility taken away, etc. But now what is okay is that you can have endorsements. I personally believe, I by far personally believe this has created the biggest loophole for all the major college stars and even some of the smaller ones that schools want to recruit. Now, booster programs, coaches, etc. can funnels players endorsements if they like because all the endorsements are legal which means if we have a local car dealership loves the team really active in the community well okay coaches like look you come over here you play for college you just you know average example and you know this car dealership is going to put you in a commercial they're going to drop 20 bands on you and they're going to put you in an Escalade. Were we doing all of this already? Obviously. Is it 
easier to do this now in a way that can impact the team negatively or the player and their eligibility? Yes, facts. And a couple of key things happen here that I want to touch on. Most importantly is same day that this happened, Miami quarterback Eric King got four sponsorship deals immediately. He has one with the Wharf Murphy Auto Group. Weird, considering the example I just gave you all. Dreamfield, College Hunks, and Moving Company. The total of all of these endorsements are kind of unknown, but literally just the College Hunks Moving Company endorsement is worth 20K. Man just hit 20K in 13 hours. He also set up a website. He's going to sell apparel, sign memorabilia, all of these things featuring a logo that he set up. And I need to stress this because it's not like King is one of the foremost, most popular college athletes in the nation. He goes to Miami, right? Imagine what the kids that go to Bama are going to get. Ohio State, Michigan. I absolutely love this. It has been going on far too long. And I feel like this is a watershed moment and the NCAA will continue to give up ground from here on out going forward. And you gotta love to see. Let's not play, boy. All right, all right. We're about to talk about the NBA coaching vacancies. There were a lot of them, a huge carousel. What we know so far, first, Portland Trailblazers hire Chauncey Billups. Dallas Mavericks hire Jason Kidd. Indiana Pacers hire Rick Carcile. And Boston chose Ime Adoka, who we talked about a lot actually in episode 40 so if you all have not seen that take a moment check it out i promise there are some hilarious stories that you all will love so what does that leave us with there are three head coaching positions in the nba left the washington wizards the orlando magic and the new orleans pelicans with those three i am going to give you my top three Spoiler, there's a three and a half here. Head coaching candidates that are still available and that need to be hired this coaching cycle. And I'm going to do this. We've talked a lot about how fresh faces are important. We got to stop just solely recycling the same faces over and over again. So in that vein, I'm going to give you two fresh faces and one retread, because not all retreads are bad decisions. Like, clearly, we see what Nate McMillan is doing with the Hawks right now, fresh off a job with the Pacers that did not work out. So the first is Becky Hammond. I cannot stress this enough. Becky Hammond is by far the best coaching candidate that is still available this cycle. She played collegiate ball at Colorado State University, was a three-time All-American, played 16 seasons in the WNBA, was a six-time All-Star, has been an assistant coach 
with the Spurs for like eight years now since 2013. So you know that means there is a championship ring on that finger. There are some conference final appearances on that finger as a coach in this league. We know that the Spurs coaching tree has produced fantastic, fantastic coaches. Some of them such as Brett Brown. We know Mike Budenholzer. We know, like, look, it is important to understand that. I just want to say this right now. Becky Hammond is the breaker of ceilings. The first woman to become a full-time assistant coach in the NBA. The first woman to be the head coach of a summer league team. And by the way, when she did that, she also won the summer league. So let's not act like she doesn't know what she's doing. She's the first woman to be on a staff with all-star players. She's the first woman to actually end up being an acting head coach in the NBA. Pop has just given her the reins multiple points in time. Paul Gasol, also certified legend in the game, was like, it's not like Becky Hammond is a good coach. It's not like she can coach. It's not like she's better than some of the male candidates. It's that flat out, undeniably, Becky Hammond is a top coach in the NBA. And this was a couple cycles ago. So why is she not getting her look? Now, I'm going to be honest. She was a finalist for the Portland Trail Blazers job. It's actually... Probably the job that I would have liked to see her get the most. Chauncey Billups got it instead. There was some controversy surrounding that, but that's not what I'm trying to get into. I actually honestly believe that she is she should be the New Orleans Pelicans coach. If y'all listen to episode 38, we talked about Teresa Weatherspoon, who I think is a running away, very good option for the same job. But more importantly, there's a lot of young talent there. Did not mesh with the Van Gundy style of coaching. What we know about Becky Hammond is that all the players that she's worked with have said she is a great motivator, a great communicator, fantastic with the X's and O's, and is a person that can build a culture that's very easy to buy into. This team in New Orleans is young. This team in New Orleans needs someone that they can honestly believe in. And that's why, to me, with everybody that's left, because at first I really wanted Jason Kidd for this position, but he took by Dallas. I honestly believe she would crush. And this would be a great start to what would probably be a magnificent coaching career. So let's move on to number two. My number two is Sam Cassell. If y'all are not familiar with Sam Cassell, certified baller. He got into the league and the first thing he did was win back-to-back titles with the Houston Rockets. And then he ended his career winning a title with the Celtics in 08. He played 15 years, averaged about 16 points. He was a member of the Wizards staff from 09 to 2014. He then joined 
Doc Riffer's staff with the Clippers was there all the way until Doc moved on to the 76ers and he moved on with Doc Rivers. I honestly believe he is the perfect candidate for the Washington Wizards job. Not only does he already have experience with the organization, but he has earned his bones as a coach in this league, was a very successful player in this league, and I think that is something that players can buy into. And when you think about where the Wizards are, it's a little odd. They have Beal, they have Westbrook, but everybody's kind of seeing the writing on the wall about whether or not that's sustainable moving forward, whether or not Bradley Beal might want to leave soon. And I think Sam Cassell gives you the opportunity to try to build a winner and convince Bradley Beal to stay. And if you cannot do that, this is a rebuild. And I like that for Sam Cassell because the Wizards have historically been a very patient franchise with their head coaches. Both of their last two head coaches had a job for four or more years, which means if he walks into a rebuild, they're going to give him the time to reestablish that culture, get those young kids to elevate and show the talent that they may be able to get in the future, especially with his relationship with that ownership and front office from already being there in the past. This is Sam Cassell, Washington Wizards, the perfect fit. So number three, and this is a little two-parter, and it's going to be our retread. It's Terry Stotts or Mike D'Antoni. And the reason why I really like either of these two guys, particularly for the last team, the Orlando Magic, is because they are certified good coaches. They have been fantastic ev everywhere they've been, but they just haven't been able to get teams that you expect to get over the hump, over the hump and win that championship. But the Magic are in a really super interesting position. They're not fully in a rebuild. They have a lot of really young talent and they need someone to come in reestablish a strong winning culture, get the talent that they have on that roster to play up to expectations moving forward. And when you think about this Orlando Magic roster, they have really, really good guards. Guards that in the future can be all-star dominant NBA players. We saw what Cole Anthony did this year. He was fantastic. We've seen Markel Fultz go from looking like Ben Simmons in Philly to getting his shot back, becoming a significantly more confident player. They also have RJ Hampton, who can be a two or undersized three, who had a lot of potential and hype coming into the draft last year, was a trade piece to get Anthony Gordon over to Denver. And because of this, I like Terry Stotts and Mike D'Antoni because they have proven ability to take guard talent and bring them to the next level. We saw D'Antoni do it with Steve Nash. We saw D'Antoni do it with James Harden. We saw what Terry Stotts did with Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum. I honestly believe these are coaches that can kind of bring forward this Orlando Magic roster and get them 
trending into the playoffs year after year after year. And maybe they have the same problem that they had in their other stop, that they don't get you over the hump. They don't win you a championship. But let's be honest, Orlando Magic fans, just consistently being in the playoffs, getting to the second, possibly a conference finals here and there would be a massive win for this franchise, given its recent history. Those are my top three. I want to know what you all think. Becky Hammond, Sam Cassell, and you know, a Terrace Dots or a Mike D'Antoni. What's up, playboy? All right, all right. Let's get into the final segment of the show, the heart of the show, Ballers Bouquets. Too often in the media, people only want to focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. So this week, we got to give a big, big Ballers Bouquet to Carmelo Anthony for winning the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Justice Champion Award. Now check it out. He was one of the many finalists, some other finalists. If you saw episode, I want to say 38, Wada Toscano Anderson from the Golden State Warriors, we gave him a shout out for his contributions that also made him a finalist. However, Melo did win this award and he was selected for his dedication over the past year to pursuing social justice and advancing Abdul-Jabbar's life mission to engage, empower, and drive equality for individuals and groups that have been historically marginalized or systematically disadvantaged. And because of this, he was given $100,000 to a charity of his choice he chose the Portland Art Museum's Black Arts and Experience Initiative. This is huge. And now he will be able to, in coordination with Abdul-Jabbar, develop a trophy for this award that will be given each year to the winner of the award. They're going to work with a team of diverse designers, which is something I absolutely love about the NBA's decision here is a team of diverse designers will work with Kareem and Melo to design a trophy that they think embodies the ethic of what this award means. So the reason why he got this award is for actually a huge set of things that he did. The first thing he did was he partnered with Chris Paul and Dwayne Wade to create a social change fund. The social change fund addressed social and economic injustice facing black communities to break down discriminatory barriers. He also championed these critical issues through this fund to do things such as expand access to voting and civic engagement, increase black representation in government, build economic equity in key communities that are in a disadvantaged area by adding more money to investments in education, employment, wage increases, and housing. Now, y'all know what we do here, but wait, there's more. Look, Anthony then partnered with a 94-year-old activist named Opal Lee in March of this year to raise awareness around Juneteenth 
and lobby the government to make Juneteenth a national holiday. Now, I know y'all probably had that little corporate conversation where they were like, oh, we care about Juneteenth now. You're getting the day off. You can thank Mello for that, as well as Opal Lee and a host of other black activists that made that push and created real change in our society. There's still more. Now, look, he also helped push the trailblazers to launch a trailblazer racial injustice initiative, which provided over $200,000 in funding to Portland area organizations that were fighting systemic racism. So they're doing a host of great things. I honestly believe that you should look into these causes. These are definitely key initiatives that by far have not done all they can to make change in this society, but are a massive step forward. And that is this week's Ballers Bouquet. It's a, it's, it's, it's a Playboy affair. Yo, all right. That is it for episode 41 of the Fly Route Podcast. Wherever you're listening, if it's YouTube, Apple Music, Podchaser, Spotify, we so, so dearly appreciate you. And let us know what you think. This is my first episode of Rocking by Myself. I want to hear what y'all think about it. What things would you change, etc.? Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, at the Fly Route Pod. Send us an email, theflyroutepod at gmail.com. And we'll see y'all next week.